Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Why don't we... uh... Pick it up now in Titus chapter 1, 2 Corinthians 6, and let's get to the word. Father, we're so thankful for how great you are. And we just pray now that you would give us spiritual ears to hear. We ask, Lord, that you would move in this body, in this place, by the power of your spirit, that we would change. Our desire is to be like you. Would you give us that strength in Jesus' name? Amen. Got a question for you? Who is your goat? Now, some of you are going, wait a second, I thought we were a church, and that question should be, who's your sheep? Well, if you're asking that question, you're probably below the age of 30. Now, I mean, above the age of 30. Let me explain again. Who is your goat? Who is your greatest of all time? (laughs) I'm 53, and look who knows it, okay? The kids are like, I didn't know he knew that. He's so cool. No, I'm not. I'm not cool. This is not a cool place. Let me explain. Who's your greatest of all time? Who's your favorite football player? Who's your basketball star? Who is your fashionista? Who is your influencer? Who do you follow? Who is your greatest of all time? Mine is Timon. Titus. <laughs> Titus. Mine is Titus. Titus is my greatest of all time. You see, I need to let you know something about this young man. Paul writes a letter to him, basically sends a very long text message to this young man who is, he's left on the island of Crete. Now let me explain where we're at in Paul's life. This is the later end of Paul's life. He has been let out of prison in Rome, and he's going to go back and visit some churches. He gets to Crete, and he goes, okay, Crete's got some issues. He has Titus with him, so he decides to leave Titus there to solve some of these issues. I mean, there was a lack of leadership. Let me tell you something. Leadership's important in a church. Do you know how many hours it took Pastor Nacho to plan for Harvest Fest? Do you realize all the training of the volunteers? Leadership in a church is important because we want to use everything and anything to win people over for the gospel. Amen? But when he got to Crete, he also noted there were false teachers. And their mouths needed to be stopped. I mean, they were teaching everything from legalism. You better behave like this, act like this, and do this. And you better dress like me. You better act like me. And everything that I am, you need to be. Two, everything goes. You can do whatever you want as long as you believe in Jesus. There was all kinds of false doctrine going on. Not to mention, the people of Crete were a little hard to deal with. Take a look. It's Titus chapter 1. I'll pick it up there in verse 12. Listen to what Paul says of this. One of them, 
a prophet of their own said. So a Cretan said about Cretans, because Cretans can, you can crack on your, a Cretan can crack on a Cretan, but no one else better crack on a Cretan. All those CRs almost messed me up. Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then Paul says, this testimony is true. Now, I wonder if he was right in the American church, if he would say, we're gum-chewing, back-slapping, loud Americans. Because every culture is known for something, and the Cretans were known to be lazy. I mean, the Italians. Pasta. They are known for pasta. And the Spanish. Chicharrones. Every culture, every country has a flavor that they're known for, and the Cretans were known to be liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Titus is a champion to be left there. In fact, so much so. Take a look at the screen. Look what Paul wrote of Titus. Okay, he says this. Therefore, he's writing the church of Corinth. He says this about Titus. Therefore, we have been comforted in your comfort, and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now look what he says. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I'm not ashamed. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found true. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying about this champion of a man. I told you he was a good guy. Now, stop for just a minute. Who wouldn't want the Apostle Paul to be your reference if you are applying for a job here at Calvary Chapel South Bay? And you come into the interview with me, and I meet you, and I say, okay, I need three references. Could you provide me with three references before I bring you on to the church? So who's your reference? And you say to me, the Apostle Paul. I'd like to provide this letter from the the Apostle who? Uh, I don't need any more references. I mean, if that's the only reference you have, listen to what Paul said about Timothy. I boasted about him, and I told you he was a good guy, and he came through like a champion. Let me tell you why. Paul knew Titus well. I mean, Titus went with Paul to Jerusalem when there was a church controversy, and he left his place of ministry, and he went with Paul all the way to Jerusalem. Then he went to Corinth with Paul. Titus went to Corinth with Paul. And let me tell you something. Corinth was not the easiest place to minister. It was very, very difficult. Now, after Paul is let out of prison, Titus meets him. They travel together to Crete. And Paul leaves Titus in Crete, which has no shortage of problems. And then after his time in Crete, he sends him to modern-day Bosnia, which was known as Dalmatia. Now, let me tell you something. When you travel with someone this much, you really get to know them. I mean, let me tell you something. Those people that are in the lobby, God bless you. Glory, Jesus, hallelujah. So great that you're here on Sunday. Go on a mission trip with them. On the fourth day of that mission trip, when they've eaten food that is not used to them, 
when they've not slept because of mosquitoes. In fact, I will never forget, I took a guy who was from Calvary Fort Lauderdale, and we went on a trip to Africa, and we went to a trip to Liberia, and on the fourth day, we were sitting in a van, and he was the, hey, how are you? So great to be with you. He's then sitting in the van like this, and I touched him, and he goes, don't touch me. I go, how you doing? Don't talk to me. I go, dude, what's going on? I'm trying to find a happy place in my mind. Stay away from me. <laughs> what happened to the, hey, how are you? Great to be with you. You get to know someone on a mission trip. Paul knew Titus. And think of the man that Titus must have been for Paul to say, I boasted about him and I told you he's a good guy. I'm his reference. Now, if you would look at Titus chapter 1, take a look at verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, skipped down to verse 4 to Titus, a true son in our common faith. Paul wrote this letter, this text message, to Titus. Paul did. Now, I need to let you know the kind of guy that Paul is So when he gives your reference, you know when he says, I boasted about him, the kind of of guy that Paul is, well, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Keep your finger in Titus and go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians 6, I want you to see the guy that Paul traveled with and what Paul went through in order for Paul to give the recommendation and the reference, the kind of man that Titus must have been. Look at verse chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians verse 1. We then, as workers together with him also, plead with you, so remember Titus is with him, not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, and in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now take a look what they go through. In much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings. Who signs up for this mission trip? A guy like Titus? Who signs up? I get up on stage and I go, hey, guess what? We're going to Crete. You're going to have to fast. You won't get to sleep. In fact, you may get beat and put into prison. Who would like to go with me? Titus goes, I'll go. I'm with you, Paul. Look at what Paul's ministry was. Who signs up for this? Where are these kind of Christians? But look how his character in response to everything that he went through. Would you take a look as we pick it up in verse 6? By purity. Look how Paul responded. By knowledge. By long-suffering. By kindness. By the Holy Spirit. By sincere love by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Verse 8, look how he responds. Here's how I did my ministry. By honor and dishonor, 
by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. I've been lied about. There's been false accusations, but I'm choosing to live by purity, by knowledge. I'm choosing to live by a way that will honor God. He goes, I've almost died, and Titus was with me. What kind of guy was Titus? I'm telling you, he's the man, but we're not done yet. Just flip over a couple of pages over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Would you take a look at the wonderful ministry that God had entrusted the Apostle Paul with? And what I need you to do, would you step out of the fantasy story of the great Apostle Paul and would you just make him a real man going through real experiences and not that you're just reading a story from a book? He writes his testimony in 2 Corinthians 11, picking it up in verse 22. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in death often, from the Jews... Five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Why can't you just say I got beat 39 times? <laughs> Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the sea, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Should I go on? Where are these kind of Christians? Where Paul stands up and says, I'm going on a mission trip. Who wants to go with me? And Titus goes, I'll go with you, Paul. No wonder Paul wrote the church in Corinth and said, I've been with this guy through thick and thin. I'm telling you, he's a good guy. He's the real deal. With this in mind, I got to tell you, Titus is the man. And if there was a GQ for Christians, he's on the cover. Let me tell you something. He's the model for go anywhere, do anything kind of saints. And if Christians had a poster like the Marines, the few, the proud, the Marines, let me tell you whose picture is on it. Timon, Titus. His picture is on it. He's the role model. He's the standard bearer of the kind of Christian that God is calling us to be. You see, there's something that Paul wants to get across to the people on Crete and to the church on Crete. And there's no better person to get this across than Titus. Titus was the exact man for the job because of his own life. You see, the whole theme of the book of Titus is Titus chapter 3, verse 8. Listen to what Paul says. This is a faithful saying. 
And these things I want you to affirm constantly. I want you to live by them every moment of your life that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. That was the life of Titus. These things are good and profitable to you. Listen to what Paul is telling through the life of Titus and the mouth of Titus. Believers should maintain good works. Now let me define the word maintain. To be engaged in. To stand in. To practice with diligence. And I get to commend you as the body of Christ as we minister to almost 7,000 people here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. We had so many first-time volunteers, first time ever at Harvest because you are being careful to maintain good works. And let me tell you what Paul is getting across. Let me break it down and make it simple. He's saying if we believe If we really believe that this is the word of God and we believe that we're to be careful to maintain good works, it should affect our behavior. See, the Cretans were lazy. The Cretans, they were lazy gluttons, the Bible says. And what the Bible is trying to get across, what the Holy Spirit wants to do to the Cretans is motivate them to maintain good works. But this letter is not just for the Cretans because when Paul introduces himself, he introduces himself as the bondservant and the apostle. He was sent of the Holy Spirit for us. And he wants us to know that our belief should also affect our behavior. It did for Titus. That's why Paul left him there. Jesus gave his life for Titus, so Titus gave his life to Jesus. Certainly did for Paul. Do you remember Paul? Paul calls himself the chief of sinners, and all of a sudden, he's gone apostle. His life was totally changed. His belief affected his behavior, and it should for us as well. Let's dig in. Titus chapter 1. Go back there with me if you would. Let's look at verse 1. Titus 1.1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul identifies himself as a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, Titus knew that. But what Paul was doing is giving Titus authority. Because Titus would share this letter with the church in the same way that I'm now sharing it because it comes with the authority of the Holy Spirit. Many of us know what the word apostle means. It means a sent one. We just sent, we just had apostles go to Oaxaca, Mexico. We sent them to Oaxaca, Mexico to be able to share the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Not big A apostle, small A apostle. Paul is letting us know, I've been sent to get people saved and to help them look like they're saved. Did you hear that, church? I've been sent to get people saved and to help them look like they're saved. 
You see, when Paul says, according to the faith and the acknowledgement of the truth, what he's saying is, I know the truth, and I'm letting everybody know the truth so that they can get saved. That's what Paul is saying. But when he says that this truth accords with godliness, what he's saying is, the evidence of your belief will affect your behavior. When you get saved... Things are going to change in your life. Paul knew this really well. Let's not forget what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He was on his way, a mean, angry little Jew. And he is on his way to go murder people that had converted to Christianity. That was Saul. He's on his way. He became Paul because on his way to go murder some Christians, Jesus meets him. And when Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus, that angering, murderous man became the loving, compassionate Apostle Paul. Just can you imagine? I can't wait to get to Damascus and kill those Jews. And do you know at every wedding... I read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love Love suffers long and love is kind. Can you imagine? He went from that angry man to giving us the definition of love and living it. Something changed in the apostle Paul's life because your behavior will change if you truly believe. Now, many of us know what apostle is, but some of us are still struggling with the bondservant idea. What exactly is a bondservant? Well, let me explain. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. It's a Jewish principle. You see, if you were a slave and you you were then be released at the end of seven years, you could make a decision to stay with your master for the rest of your life. Take a look if you would. It's law in Exodus 21. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children. So this is at the end of the seven years. I won't go out out and be free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. You see, if you were Jewish and you borrowed money and you couldn't pay it back, the way that you would pay it back is you would become the one who loaned you the money, you would become their servant. But because God is not into slavery, and they had worked this little system, God says, you've got to let everyone free in seven years. It's called the year of jubilee. So I don't care how much money they owe you, a Jewish person cannot be a slave for the rest of their lives. So, at seven years, you could be set free, but the Jewish person could go, I love my master. Like, where do I want to go? I don't want to be, I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay with them. So he would go to the leaders. They'd put an earring in him to let everyone know he is now a servant by choice, not by force. And he wants to serve the master. And what Paul is doing is pulling from that ancient terminology and saying, I want to serve Jesus for the rest of my life because he is an incredible master. That's what he's saying. 
Paul is saying, I've chosen to give my life to Jesus to serve him all of my days. In fact, Paul sums it up the best. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he sums up this idea of bondservant by saying, I have been crucified with Christ. I have given my life so much to Jesus that I died to myself, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, so this life that I get to live here on earth, I live by faith in the Son of God. I do whatever it is that Jesus wants me to do because he, look what the Bible says, who loved me and gave himself for me, he's a great master and I'm going to choose to be his servant. Let me tell you something about the Apostle Paul. His belief radically affected his behavior. He was living his life for himself and then he gave his life to Jesus. He's no longer climbing the ladder of power and prestige to be the Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee of Pharisees. No, he now wanted to be what God wanted him to be. He was going to be a bondservant and an apostle because that's exactly what Jesus wanted him to be. Let me tell you something about this gospel. There's first of four things, and I would encourage you to write them down. This is what the gospel does. The gospel transforms our lives. It completely changes us. If you really believe, it will completely change your behavior. Over the last year as your senior pastor, I've heard so many stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives. Families have been redeemed. Marriages have been saved. Prodigals have come back home. Because I need to let you know something about the gospel. The gospel does not simply reform us. It transforms us. You see, the gospel doesn't simply reform us. It doesn't simply make us better people. The gospel completely transforms us. It makes us completely different people. Let me explain with the word metamorphosis. It's where in the Bible we get our word transformation. Oh, you know the word metamorphosis well. The caterpillar goes into the cocoon and he doesn't come out a better worm. He doesn't come out a better worm. He's born again as he busts out of that cocoon and he's born again into a completely different nature. He's no longer crawling on the ground. He's soaring in the skies. He's no longer this gross little worm-like thing with a bunch of little legs. He's this beautiful, colorful butterfly who wants the world to know I'm completely different. In fact, if you were to look at that butterfly and you had no idea where it came from, it would be hard for you to believe it used to be a worm. I got a friend of mine. One day we were talking, and he's a pastor now in a different state. One day we were talking, and he said to me, Chet, I used to have a truck driver's mouth. Now, if you're a truck driver, let me say, I know you're redeemed, and you don't have this, okay? I know that, okay? And if you're not, if you haven't been redeemed, there's hope for you, okay? But when I say that, every other word was an explicative. Every other word was a curse word. 
And I looked at him and I said, there's no way. He was the most kindest, gentlest, servant-minded man you could ever imagine. And when he told me that every other word used to be a curse word, I didn't believe him. There is no way you used to be a worm. You're a butterfly. You're soaring for Jesus. He goes, I've been completely changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms our lives. Take a look if you would. It's Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, because of all that God has done for you, give God your life. Look at verse 2. And don't be conformed to this world. Don't act like the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, you'll show evidence, what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. I need to let you know something. The good, perfect, and acceptable will of God is your salvation. It's good. It was perfect. His atonement was perfect for you. It's pleasing. You get to be saved and live with God for in eternity, not just on earth, but for in eternity. And what he's saying here is our metamorphosis, our transformation proves our salvation. We, like the Apostle Paul, used to be murderous and angry, but now we're filled with love and compassion. We used to live the way that we wanted to live, but now we discover how he wants us to live. We renew our minds. That's what it means. We learn from the Bible, and then we put it into practice so that we can change. How many of you in the audience have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? If that's you. Let me tell you something else about the gospel. Would you take it, Titus chapter 1 again, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. In other words, what you believe is how you'll behave. In hope of, verse 2, eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Number two, if you're taking note, the gospel provides hope for our future. And this kind of hope is not the kind of hope like, I hope it's not going to rain on my wedding day, the day that we planned it. I hope it doesn't rain. No, no, no. That's not the hope of the Bible. The hope of the Bible is a sure confidence. And the hope of the Bible provides hope for our future. Let me prove it to you in Hebrews. It's Hebrews chapter 6. This is a working biblical definition of hope. Take a look. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. In other words, when you don't feel like you're saved, it doesn't determine whether you're saved or not. We have a hope that's an anchor. It ain't going to move no matter the wind or the waves that attack it. Okay? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, Jesus, or even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you thought I was speaking tongues, let me communicate what he's getting across. 
The hope we have in Jesus, because he died on the cross and because he rose again, nobody can take that hope away from us. It is sure and it is steadfast. You got nothing to worry about because God does not lie. He doesn't put it out there and say, I'm going to take it from you. God doesn't lie. It is sure. It is steadfast. It's an anchor. Paul is trying to say, because you're saved and your behavior should reflect your salvation, let the hope of eternal life change your life because one day you're going to be a citizen of heaven. Why don't you start acting like it now? God doesn't lie. You see, outside of heaven... One of the greatest hopes we can have is that we can change. Who wants to go back to the way we used to be? Who wants to go back to the murderous man that Paul was? No, you want to soar in the heights and you want to be truly born again. I was talking on the phone with a friend of mine. She had a huge family crisis. So she texted me and she said, would you please pray for me? So I did. Three days later, I gave her a call. I said, hey, how you doing? She goes, I'm great. How you doing? I was shocked because I know the person from six, seven years ago. And I know this kind of family crisis would have rocked her world. And all she did was text me to pray. I was nervous to call. But when I called her, she said, I'm great. She goes, I'm completely handling this differently. I'm trusting in Jesus. I've got victory in Jesus. She goes, I can change. I can change. Let me tell you something. There's something wonderful when you walk through a situation and you've been walking with God and all of a sudden you realize, wow, I'm not the person I used to be. God is working on me. Maybe I get to go to heaven after all. How many have ever been there where you've been shocked and surprised by your behavior? Like your husband comes home and he does his traditional, and you go, well, good, mo- good afternoon, honey. How you doing? You don't do the back. And then you walk away and go, I'm a completely different wife. Jesus has changed me. I'm no longer the mean person that I was when he would used to come home. His behavior doesn't affect me. You affect me. And I believe in you, Jesus, so I'm going to let it impact my behavior. Amen? Peter tells us like this. Take a look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It'll be on the screen. But the day of the Lord... Listen, church, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That means Jesus will come at any moment. Are you ready? In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. What Peter does, because this is a very short letter, he sums up the entire seven years of tribulation in a sentence. So Jesus is coming. And then there's going to be tribulation. He's coming to get the church, and then he's going to destroy the heavens and the earth. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for, hastening the coming of the day of God. Look what Peter is getting across. 
Because we have the hope that Jesus could come for us at any given moment, because we believe in the rapture of the church, how is it impacting your behavior today? How does the hope of the gospel change the way you respond in the parking lot? Titus chapter 1, verse 3. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. If you're taking note, number three, the gospel brings purpose to our lives. God made manifest the gospel. God let everyone know over the last 2,000 years, there is a way for you to be saved. Watch this. I just manifested this microphone. You couldn't see it. But then I made it very clear. I took it out of its little hiding place right here. Do you know that? I got a little hiding place right here for a microphone. You know why? Because sometimes this goes out and there I just manifested the microphone. You didn't know it was there, but now you do. That's the Christian's responsibility. The world doesn't know the gospel is there, but God has given you a microphone to tell the world that Jesus Christ is coming again for those that believe in him. Now, church, the Bible says that God's made it manifest. He's let us know in due time, at the right moment. Galatians chapter 4, Paul describes this again, and he says this, But when the fullness of time had come, at the right moment, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Who's excited that they're in God's family? You've been adopted in. Who's excited that you've been adopted into God's family? So church, I need to let you know something. You got a due date. This word due time is very important. This is important because today is the day of salvation. Your due date is today. And if you choose to give your life to Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You will not only find new life, you'll find purpose. You see, Paul's purpose was to preach the gospel because he believed that Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And because he believed what Jesus said, it affected his behavior and he was willing to go through everything I read because Jesus told him to, he believed it and it impacted his behavior. And if we believe it, should affect our behavior. Paul didn't want anyone to go to hell. In fact, you know what he said? Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Just imagine if this belief affected our behavior at Calvary Chapel South Bay. But I need to let you know something. Preaching the gospel wasn't Paul's job. Paul's job was making tents. She's making tents. 
So intense. That's what he did. He just so tense. He put goat's hair together and he just so tense all day long. That's how he supported himself in the ministry. His job was that he was a tent maker. And one day as he was making tents, I don't know why I'm doing that. One One day as he was making tents, he's working with Priscilla and Aquila uh, 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 Limited. He's working with Priscilla and Aquila Inc. There he is making his tents. Hey, have you guys heard of Jesus? I know I'm working hard. And I built a character with you that I'm a hard worker and I, I come at 8 even though I'm supposed to be here at 9 and I leave at 6 even though I'm supposed to leave at 5 and I always go above and beyond and I always do more and I've proven myself that I've got a good character and now we're having a little conversation. I'm making the tent and I'd like to tell you something about Jesus. Would you like to know Jesus? And guess what? Priscilla and Aquila got saved because tent making was his job but giving the gospel was his purpose. I live in San Pedro. Let me tell you something. 80% of the people that live in San Pedro work at the port. You don't work at the port. That's not your purpose. You work at the port. That's your job. But your purpose is that Jesus has sent you there to preach the gospel. And you're going to find your greatest fulfillment when you allow your belief to affect your behavior. Number four. Titus chapter one, verse four. To Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. The gospel furnishes us with a family. You see, because of grace, because of the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, we're all part of a family. We have a common faith. In other words, we've got the same DNA. Let me explain. Paul says to Titus, a true son in the common faith. We all needed the grace of God. Every single one of us. We all needed a favor. That's grace. We all needed a favor from God to get to heaven. We all needed the mercy of God because we've all sinned. We all needed the peace that only can come from God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And because we have this common faith, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you get stamped as God's child. His DNA gets put on you. And guess what? That makes us family. I'm your brother. I'm your brother. And this family that we're a part of, it's not a title of our organization. We're the family of God. It's not a title of an organization. It's the reality of our existence. Three weeks ago, a couple in our church, they sit 830 service right there. Every 830 service, never fail. They were at our marriage breakfast. He's a jiu-jitsu instructor. In fact, he was uh, going to start a jiu-jitsu ministry here at Calvary Chapel South Bay for young kids. He leaves the breakfast. He goes to his gym. He does one kick, drops on the ground, and dies. His name is Christian. And his wife's name is Trina. I get a text message. 
He's at the hospital. They resuscitate him 10 minutes without oxygen. And I send out the message, we're going to start praying for Christian. People start calling Trina. They start showing up at the hospital. Food starts I mean, the body just starts loving on Trina. That day, they do an angiogram, and they discover three of his four arteries, one is 100% blocked, two are 90% blocked. He's, being, he's alive by a ventilator. They have to take him off sedation to see if they can do open-heart surgery. They believe he's brain dead. As they take him off the sedation, they say, Christian, we need some kind of response to know that you're good. He went... (laughs) The next day, they wheel him in to open-heart surgery. The next day after open-heart surgery, he walks out around the corridor of the hospital. Now he's home watching our service at 830. 8.30. After open heart surgery, the doctor said to Christian, you were dead for 10 minutes and you were raised to life. You were raised to life. Now church, let me tell you something. I just got a picture of him walking around his neighborhood. And you know what Trina texts me? I can't thank God enough for the family at Calvary Chapel South Bay. The way that this church has loved me and became my family. I can't thank this church enough. Why would you want to do the uncertainty of this life without a family? Could you please no longer be the distant, weird uncle that wants nothing to do with the family? Because let me tell you something. Trust me. One day you will need us. And I want to assure you as the family, we will be there for you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the grace of your word. Thank you for Titus setting such an example for us the poster child of what it means to maintain good works. And now, Holy Spirit, would you move in this place in only a way that you can. Jesus' name. If you see people moving, they're only moving so that they can go get ready to serve you, but would you just let it be a holy moment for a moment? Christians, this is where you begin to pray. You've tried it your way. How did it work out? You've even tried to be a better person. But what you need is not reformation, you need transformation. Jesus Christ he can give you new life you ask any Christian would they ever go back to being the worm 
I guarantee no one would want to go back crawling on the earth when they're soaring in the heavens. And God has new life for you, not just eternal life. You can walk out of here today and know that you know that you're going to heaven. But God has abundant life for you. You can choose salvation and let that belief affect your behavior. He wants to give you new life. He wants to give you a fresh start. He wants to help you begin again. He wants you to be born again. And I've got to believe in an audience this size, just like the 830. There are those whose hearts are beating out of their chest. That's the Holy Spirit. He is beckoning you. And he's saying to you, I do have new life for you. I do want to give you an abundant life. I do want to save you. But I believe there's believers that are here. And you've been struggling. You believe, but you don't see it impacting your behavior. You're still a little mean. You, you, you believe you're a follower, but you want to be a disciple. You want to be like Titus. I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to do anything. And you want this to be your Christian fresh start. Well, we here at Calvary South Bay, we believe, so it affects our behavior. We believe that Jesus called his disciples publicly. And I believe that he did that so that they could take a first step of boldness so that when they go into their world, they can face their world. Because if you can't face us who love you and care for you, we're the family. And how will you be able to face the world? And I want you to know, Jesus Christ wants to give you new life. It's an invitation. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.